I think, an appropriate title and summary of what we find expressed in Psalm 46 would be remaining calm in the midst of chaos. Remaining calm in the midst of chaos. In our examination of this psalm, I think it would be best to study it by the three parts that are naturally separated by the three pauses or silas that are found throughout the psalm. You'll notice by a simple glance of these 11 verses that we find a sila after what is articulated in verses 1 through 3. We find a sila after what is mentioned in verses 4 through 7. And we find a sila at the conclusion of the psalm after the declarations of verses 8 through 11. So with that said, before we break down this psalm into its three parts, as I read the entirety of this psalm, I want you to take careful notice of two distinct elements that are repeated in each section. As I read the psalm, I want you to take note of the psalmist's mentioning of chaotic circumstances and then notice the psalmist's calmness in the midst of the chaotic circumstances. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Did you catch the mentioning of the two repeated truths in each section? Did you see the repeated references of chaos and calmness? Let's take one section at a time and notice them together. The psalmist begins by saying, God is our refuge, our shelter, our hope, and our strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, as the psalmist concludes in verse 2, it is only logical and it is only appropriate that we, as God's people, remain calm. Do you see that? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, 
though the mountain shake with the swelling thereof. Now it is hard to tell if what is being said is describing real circumstances that is taking place before the eyes of the psalmist or if what he is saying is hypothetical. And I personally tend to believe that what is being said is real and perhaps it is figurative for wars and national troubles for we read in verse 9 references to wars ceasing, bows breaking, spears shattering and chariots burning. And to add to this, in Isaiah 17, verse 12, and Jeremiah 51, 25, we find God's prophets referring to war and God destroying nations through the rushing of mighty waters and God tearing down mountains, which truths unite with what is said in verses 2 and 3. Whatever your viewpoint is, in an interpretive sense, it really doesn't matter because It's not specifically said, but what is clear in verses 1 through 3 is the absolute certainty that the believer can be calm in the midst of chaotic circumstances when the believer calls to mind who God is. Do you see that? The chaos is stated in verses 2 and 3, which involves the destruction of earth itself. While in verse 1 we have the calmness being shown. The words in verse 1 declares that God's people have a place to run to in the midst of chaos. In the midst of destruction, God's people have a place of protection. God's people can find a place of strength in the midst of their weakness, a place of help during their times of trouble. Teaching us then that the help of God is greater than any crisis that we face in life. And God's help is greater than the most furious crisis we may face in this life. And then we have the sila, the pause, the opportunity to stop and think about what has just been said so that we might apply these truths to our personal life. So we have chaotic circumstances being mentioned in verses 1 through 3, and wedded with that is a calmness within the chaotic circumstances. Now turning now to the second part of the psalm, we find the same two elements of chaos and calmness that we find in the first part. In verse 6, we find the raging of men and the nations in commotion, causing the kingdoms of the earth to be moved. But we also find references of the psalmist remaining calm. Beginning in verse 4, we find the psalmist mentioning a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And again, if we are to be honest with the text, we must admit that it's difficult to interpret what he means here by such a river because there's no river that runs through the city of Jerusalem. There are a few small streams in Jerusalem, but no river. So the question is, what is he speaking of here? 
Well, let me suggest that perhaps he is speaking of a metaphorical river that gives life to God's people. And to back up my thoughts with Scripture, let me remind you that the prophets often describe God's provisions as well as spiritual happiness, spiritual peace, and spiritual joy through the image of a river. The prophet Isaiah speaks of rivers being made in the desert, in a place of barrenness and dryness. Isaiah speaks of the wilderness being a pool of water. And likewise, the prophet Ezekiel speaks of a river of healing flowing from the temple. So what is this river? Well, I believe it's an allusion to God's life-giving presence. It's an allusion to God's provisions. Perhaps it is a mentioning of God's ideal, perfect city, the new Jerusalem. There is a river, the psalmist says, that makes glad the city of God. And he continues by saying, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. And then jumping down to verse 7, following the mentioning of the heathen raging, we have a declaration that the Lord of hosts, that is the commander of the army, is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And this is followed by another sila, another opportunity to pause, to think, to reflect upon that which is being said. So here in this second section, we find the stated chaos, which is the nations making an uproar and the kingdoms being moved. And then we find the psalmist calmly asserting that the heathen nations are no match for God. Therefore, God's people have a place of protection where they can find peace. And would you notice the emphasis of who God is in verse 7? The psalmist says that this God, who we can find refuge in, is the God of Jacob. Why is this important? This reference of God being the God of Jacob. Who is Jacob? Well, Jacob is the son of Isaac, who is the grandson of Abraham. Remember, Jacob is the deceiver, the one who stole the birthright from his brother Esau. This is the Jacob who, after that time, wrestled with God all night before his fearful confrontation with his brother Esau. So this reference of Jacob reminds us of God's grace towards those who don't deserve it. Jacob had his times in which he met with chaotic circumstances. He feared for his own life, and yet running to God in prayer, he found a calmness. Did he deserve it? No. But God is a God of grace. This reference of Jacob reminds us of God's forgiveness toward his erring ones. It reminds us of God's faithfulness to help his people when his people turn to him in prayer. So how is it that God's people can remain calm in the midst of chaos? We can remain calm in knowing that God is a God 
who is greater than the kings of the earth. He is a God who is with us. He is a God who is gracious to an undeserving people. He is a God who keeps his promises. He kept his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Israel. So there are the two truths articulated in section number two. We have the chaos stated and the calmness shown. And then turning to the third section, beginning in verse 8, we have an invitation to consider the great works of God in the midst of more chaos. Notice at verse 8, the psalmist says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations He hath made in the earth. And then we have the mentioning of chaos in verse number 9. Verse 9 specifically mentions wars and bows and spears and chariots. Now, these might not seem significant to us, but in their cultural context, these things were weapons of war. And with war comes the threat of death. And with war comes financial and physical loss, mental anguish, and so forth. So do you see the chaos being spoken of here? This is what the psalmist sees as he looks out at his world. So let's put it in the context of our world, shall we? When we look horizontally at this world today, what do we see? Well, we see wars. We hear of rumors of wars. We see daily terrorist groups torturing people. We see criminals, lawbreakers taking over cities. We read of threats of nuclear war. We hear of branches of our military moving to positions of readiness. Yet, throughout the mentioning of such chaos, the psalmist makes a firm declaration that it is God who makes the wars to cease. It's God who breaks the bow. It's God who cuts the spear. And it's God who burns man's sophisticated war machines. It's God who calms down the dictators of the world who would love to send forth nuclear weapons across the globe. Oh, but somebody says, oh, the free will of man, the free will of man, nothing can take place unless God gives man permission. Look at the text. Give me a break. The psalmist is essentially saying, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord is the one who directs his steps. It's God who holds the hearts of kings and rulers in his hand, and he, God, turns the hearts and the desires and the wants and the wishes how he pleases. Yes? It's God who raises up and tears down as he pleases. It's God who destroyed Pharaoh it's God who takes down the Babylons. It's God who allows King Nebuchadnezzar to eat grass. And it's God who persecutes Herod 
in his persecution of his of God's saints. Daniel says all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he, God, doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? This is the God of the Bible. This is the God that we serve, the one who is sovereign over all. Not some things, not most things, but all things. We need a higher view of God in our day. This is the only thing that's going to strengthen us and sustain us in the midst of chaos. Not a higher view of man, but a higher view of God. Yes? The psalmist, knowing this about God, says then in verse 10 that we are to be still and know assuredly, confidently, that God is God. We ought to take great confidence in the fact that God will be exalted among the heathen. Oh, yes, but the heathen are strong. God is stronger. God will prevail over his enemies. And God will accomplish all his holy will. Do you see the calmness exhorted in the midst of chaos? The psalmist says, be still. And the meaning of this exhortation is not to be lazy. It's not to sit in your lazy boy recliner doing nothing. It's not to stand in one place, inactive. The meaning is, be quiet. Remember Job? Remember the chaotic response to his chaotic circumstances? And God took Job and said, Job, where were you when I created everything? Job, look around at all that I have done and all that I am doing. Remember Job's response? I'm going to put my hand upon my mouth and shut up. I'm sure it's in the Hebrew. Be still, Job. Stop murmuring, stop complaining, stop fussing, stop doubting, stop questioning God's purposes, and just be still and know that God has everything under control. The, the meaning of the text is, let your anxieties come to rest. And the best picture of this is when Jesus, remember, rebuked the wind and said to the raging sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this, 
that even the wind and the sea obey him. What was it that the apostles needed to do in the midst of their chaotic circumstances? They needed to fix their hearts upon who Jesus Christ is. Who is he? He's God over all. He's the one who controls nature. In the midst of their chaotic circumstances, they needed to set the sovereign one up in their hearts and minds as he is. And this is what we considered two weeks ago from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Remember, how do we handle our anxieties? How do we handle our trials and our troubles, our burdens, our worries? We handle it by casting them upon the Lord, the one who loves us, the one who cares for us. We speak to our troubles like the psalmist does in Psalm 42. Remember in Psalm 42, the psalmist is all out of sorts emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And yet the psalmist takes himself in hand and starts preaching truth to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. He's essentially rebuking himself as Jesus rebuked the winds and the sea, saying, Peace be still. Be still and know that I am God. Do you ever do this when you're worked up? You call your name and you say, you just need to be quiet. You ought to do this. Don't just wait for Sunday or Wednesday. Take a pause. Take a break. Take a sila. Why am I so worked up? God's in control. He promised all things would work for my good and his glory. Men mean things for evil, but God means it for good. Be still. And know that God is God. Are you seeing the divine treatment for our spiritual, mental, and emotional troubles? When everything around us seems to be falling apart, we need to pause and remind ourselves that with God on His throne, everything is actually falling into place. Nothing's falling apart. As Albert Moeller said, there's no rogue molecule floating around in space. Everything is being directed at the hand of God. And then would you notice in verse 11 that the psalmist concludes the psalm with two repetitive truths that have been the anchor to his soul in the midst of his troubled circumstances. He says, verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. And in case you've already forgotten what he said in verse 1, here it is in verse 11. During times of weakness and trouble, we have a place of strength and refuge where? In Him, in God. You see the two bookends of this psalm? The two things holding everything together? It's the truth that God is our refuge. 
And then intertwined within those two truths are assertions that God is with his people. And listen, how is God with his people? God is with his people through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Christ is our Emmanuel, God with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. How? Through Christ, through his spirit. Remember the mentioning of the king in Psalm 45. Well, we have another prophetic reference of that king through the one who came to tabernacle among men. Who is it that's the king of kings and lord of lords? Who is it that has all authority in heaven and earth even to the end of the age? Who is it that has conquered sin on our behalf? Who is it that will cast Satan into the lake of fire and have victory in that final war mentioned in Revelation? It's King Jesus. The one who is with us through the new birth by the power of the Spirit. Listen, you can have spiritual calmness in the midst of your sinful chaos through submitting yourself to the Prince of Peace. You can be at peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is our peace. In your sin, you are at enmity with God, raging and warring, kicking against His ways. You're unsettled. You don't know the way of hope. You don't know the way of joy. All you know is darkness. All you know is sin and the consequences of sin. But through the gospel of peace, through the Prince of Peace, being justified by faith, you can have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the spiritual implication of this psalm? It's not just physical in nature. It's spiritual in nature. It's evangelistic in nature. What is living in sin? What is living in this world? What is living under the dominion of Satan other than complete chaos, yes? Do we need to break out the pictures from your life before Christ? Chaos, confusion, heartache, disappointment, frustration, hopelessness. Your whole world was falling apart. That's what the psalmist is describing. But God, by His grace, conquered your heart. And came to you and allowed your soul to be at rest. Christ says, Matthew 11, come, all ye who weary and are heavy laden, come, all you who are dealing with this chaos of trying to work your way to heaven, come with all your burdens. And Christ says, if you come, I will give you rest. You see, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that Christ has done everything for you to be saved. You do nothing. It's not your prayers. It's not your baptism. It's not your church membership. It's not your giving financially. 
It's not your goodness. No, be still. And know that Christ is God. And Christ as God has satisfied the wrath of God on the behalf of his people, on the behalf of those who believe on him. Chaos, but calmness in God, calmness in Christ. Where do we find rest for our souls? Where do we find hope in this hopeless world? We find it in Jesus Christ. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our help. He's our peace. He's our joy. He's our life. He's our very salvation. Listen, if you don't know Christ, all you will know in this life is chaos. If you don't know Christ, all you will experience is frustration and failure. If you live for the things of this world, all you will know is spiritual defeat. You will be conquered. But if you turn to Christ in faith, trusting in His power to save your soul, you will find a place of eternal refuge. You'll be kept in the hands of the eternal God. No one and nothing can pluck you out of that. And then, believer, whatever circumstances you might be facing, can we not rejoice in the Lord tonight that we have a place to run to when our world is thrown upside down? And I'm not just speaking of the world that we live in at large, but I'm speaking of our personal world. (laughs) That which happens daily and weekly. Where do we run when we face trouble? Where do we run when we're tempted to quit? Where do we run when everybody forsakes us, when we're persecuted for our faith in Christ? We run boldly to the throne of grace, And going to such a throne, we find mercy and we find grace to help in our time of need. That's what the psalmist is presenting to us here in Psalm 46. And then we take these truths and we commit them to prayer. Not only prayer for ourselves, but prayers for others. Do you know of somebody dealing with chaotic circumstances as we speak? How do we pray for them? How do we approach the throne of grace in a way that is according to God's will? Here it is. We pray that the one dealing with chaotic circumstances might find rest, might find calmness in the person of Jesus Christ. We don't pray that their circumstances might be taken from them, But we pray that in the midst of such circumstances, they will find that refuge in Christ. That's what we pray. That they would know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Are you going through a chaotic time? Pray this for your soul. Lord, help me to be still. And know that you are God. I can't change my circumstances. We can't change the world. We can't change the unraveling of sin that happens in the world. But we can change our perspective 
as we look to the law of the Lord and as we gaze upon the eternal one. That's what the Psalms are all about. And really, this is the entirety of the whole Bible, is it not? From Genesis to Revelation. What is, what is Genesis to Revelation? Nothing but chaos, right? Just trace it out from Genesis 3 to the end of Revelation. Chaos. Sin enters into the world. Cain kills Abel. Rebellion among God's creation. God floods the world. Chaos. There's drunkenness. And then God establishes His covenant with a man who fails and falters. And then we have all this drama that happens with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Talk about chaos. And then chaos in Egypt and chaos in Joseph's life and chaos coming out of Egypt and chaos in the wilderness and God's people running to idols and chaos and worshiping gods that are no gods at all and captives going into captivity, chaos. Going to the New Testament, we have the promise of Christ and then one who wants to kill Christ when he's young, chaos. A chaotic world. The Romans take over in Israel. They're under oppression, God's people are. Chaos. And in the Gospels, what do we read? We read of people being blind, people being deaf, people dying, parents losing their children, health problems, chaos. We read the epistles. What do we read? The Gentile world giving themselves over to sinful chaos. Revelation, what do we read? Chaos in every corner of the world. Chaos that will happen as time continues to go on. And in the midst of that chaos, what do we find? What do we find? We find God being our refuge and our strength. God helping His people, causing them to be calm. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful God.